Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Let's go back to 2011. Look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back. Oh baby, let's go back with Squidge. Hello and welcome once again to the Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective Podcast, a podcast which is now something like 12, 13 episodes in and should really be getting used to the name of the podcast by now. I should, I should probably be able to say it. My name is Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. I am joined today as ever by Will Owen, who again, I should have a more creative name, but that's still just my name. <laughs> just change it, yeah. Just, just, yeah. Just, just change it, just dive in. Yeah. And honoured to be joined by, from... YouTube itself, the one and only Mr. Gareth Mason. How are we doing? Hello, guys. No, very well. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. <laughs> Honoured to be here. No, thank you for being here. We're, we're excited to have you. Excited to try and walk as tall as G-Man himself. To try and... <laughs> you know. Thank you. So, yeah, to, to begin, uh, the game today is South Africa's 49-3 win over Fiji from the 2011 World Cup. To begin with that, yeah, as a as a South African fan, as if anyone hasn't seen your stuff or watched it out, uh, you <laughs> like the Springboks. I think it's safe to say that. Just a little bit, just a little, yeah, bit. <laughs> just a little bit. You know, you 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 keep on the, the quiet. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so how do you look back on this World Cup on 2011? What are your main memories as a Springboks fan of it? Oh, not very good, to be honest. Uh, I thought we had a great team. I only have two words, Bryce Lawrence, unfortunately. <laughs> um, sorry, I have to bring it up. Yeah. The scar that's still going with us even so many years, nine years later, can you believe it? But um, look, it was a good World Cup. I, I do have good memories because of the squad that we had mm. uh, and we had our moments. The game before that, when we, I think it was Wales or something, yeah. we didn't look as, yeah. as hot. But um, this game, I think we, we came back quite quite strongly. And even against Australia, there were, there were moments of class in and behind Bryce Lawrence. But um, I think we, if we, South Africa were really going at it and hyping it because we were defending champs. So mm-hmm. down here, the vibe was very positive. Um, but it was also a little bit negative because this was the first time our jersey didn't have the springbok um, and it was thrown to the sleeve. So we, there was still quite a bit of controversy on that. Not many people wanted to actually buy that World Cup jersey, which was the first, because it didn't have that Springbok um, mm. due to the whole political drama and crap that we had back then. But um, we've come a long way since. But it, it was a it, it was a good World Cup. Mm. Um, but yeah, Bryce Lawrence unfortunately highlights that one for me. It's, it's amazing how often, even after 2019, after... I don't know if you remember this, but last year you won a World Cup. Um, yeah. Tell you what, if Wales had won that World Cup, there wouldn't be a second I wouldn't have thought about it since. It would have been every thought of every every meal I'd have eaten 
I'd have just gone Alan Wynne Jones. Just, you know, imagining, I don't know, Reese Patchell's winning drop goal at the end or whatever happens in it's, my head. I'm just going to remind um, you now, Robbie, that we didn't win the World Cup last year. So wait, what? Did. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you fancy saying it again, dream, guys? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I'm amazed how often Bryce Lawrence still comes up. That scar runs properly deep in South Africa. Massive. Yeah. Um I, I was seeing, I saw Bryce actually the other day. I think he's still, still quite involved with New Zealand referee right. or something like that. And we um, came across him the other day and I was actually shocked to see him actually still doing something mm. because, I mean, our media went out for him. We, our, we have a radio guy who's known for pranking people. Mm. And I mean, he phoned Bryce in the middle of the mornings in New Zealand time. Uh, Bri- yeah, Bryce Lawrence lasted long. And uh, like I said, if we go back to 2011, that's yeah. probably the first thing someone will say to you if you're talking to South African. But yeah, uh, yeah that oh. definitely stuck with us. Look, it's how great it's passed. It, it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But um, it definitely still is a memory. I mean, the All Blacks still had their moments of, of greatness, and I think they might have still won, even if we were close by them. But mm. um, we'll never know. And uh, that's the thing that, that's the thing at the yeah. end of the day that happens. Yeah. Um, there still is a way to go past Australia. Yes. So it's not like we would have won the World Cup because of Bryce Lawrence doing that. It, it, you just don't know. Yeah. 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 Of course, with World France, there's always a bit hurt with the whole Alan Roland thing as well, with yeah. the Sam Warburton red card. Mm-hmm. Of course, the thing is, it's a difficult one because I think we've come to accept that nowadays that is a red card, you know. Uh, stuff like, obviously, we'll come up with this, you know, as and when. <laughs> but I suppose that... To an extent, we share the same hurt of uh, how this World Cup finished. That there was an easy scapegoat in terms of that, and as you say, it's what happened. You know, when yeah. But it's difficult to come to terms with, isn't it? So it, it's amazing that I think the Australians are the only set of fans that don't think they would have won that World Cup if not for X. And I think <laughs> a lot of World fans go, "Well, if it wasn't a red card, we would have won that World Cup." And I hold we wouldn't. I hold New Zealand would have won it. And then, you know, South African fans, they have the, the Bryce Lawrence thing keeps coming. And again, as you say, it's not necessarily would have won the World Cup, but a semi-final and suddenly who knows from there. Um, the squad, there's not to see all those big names were in that yeah. team. So they had, they had it, but uh, we'll just never know. But I mean, one, I suppose we've already got another World Cup. So yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> You've got to be content with that. Should we uh, see how many times you can mention that throughout the course of this episode? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think... The other thing about this Springbok team, as you say, it's a really strong side and it's largely the team that had been the best team in the world end of two years earlier in 2009 yes. when they beat the, the, the All Blacks home and away for the first time in some time. They obviously won that Lion yeah. series. They were just completely dominant over everyone they played, except except for Ireland. Yeah. They, yeah, they were pretty much yeah. dominated everyone for about 18 months. They were comfortably the best team in the world until New Zealand kind of reappeared and re-emerged a bit just in the lead yes. up to this World Cup. So it's it's interesting when you look at that, you know, the the squad they took to the World Cup, it was mostly a combination of the players that had just won the World Cup four years earlier and then these new players they brought through ahead of that Lions tour in 2009. Yeah, fully. And, and, and to watch those guys grow from 2007, like Franz Stein, I mean, he mm. was like a, a youngster who, who became a hero and now... All these guys that were a bit young are now more senior and, and got experience in that position. And um, they definitely develop. So when you look at that that squad of, of, of quality players, um, 
you definitely look back at the, at, at the strength of what, how these guys did um, and what they built. And I think that was one of the, the things that Peter DeVillier's got as coach was he's just got Jake Whiteside. Can we really give him credit for those dominant years? But, I mean, yeah. he still has to, you know, you've got your good players that will stay great and help you, but you've got to be able to keep them there, keep them yeah. Yeah. happy, fit, motivated, and all that jazz. So, um, I, you know, I put nothing against it, but I think they came a long way and grew. And from a squad on paper, I mean, the likes of Victors, Farida Prias, mm. Mornays, I mean, they're, they're, they're regarded as greats now. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's just quality squad in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's funny you should bring up Franz Stein because he actually, I'm not sure if he really knew about this, but he actually went on to win a second World Cup with South Africa 12 <laughs> years later as well in 2019. So oh, I couldn't remember that one. <laughs> yeah, he went from the youngest man to win a World Cup to the most surprisingly fat yet effective outside back to yeah. the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. um, I love his evolution. I think it was a surprise for every, everyone that he was back. Yeah, um, and I mean, he mainly sat there on the bench half the time, so uh, keeping the guys healthy and fit with the water boy. But that <laughs> seems to be a good role these days. If you yeah. look at Super Rugby, you got Dan Carter, your water boy. I mean, it's quality. Yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah, that's no. Stanky was good, and, and he grew up into it. So twenty eleven for me, just matured more. Not saying he was mature mm. then. But, yeah. Should we pick up on something then at the start of the game, speaking of Francois Stein? Because he does come in and kick a goal from my front room. Like, he he comes somehow, takes the run up from my bedroom, you know, like, runs through the house, and then runs to the flat, and then nails it right the way through the post over in New Zealand. Like it's a properly... A up, to be honest. No, it's a properly, like, it's what, like, 58 metres or something? Ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah. And especially... I don't, know how, he, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> Like, Mornay Stain's missed one basically in front of the post earlier on already. And then Franz Dane comes in and just, but, no, this is how you do it. And like I did just write it in my notes. Here he is as he steps up to take it. Completely short. Of course he's getting it. Of course he's getting it. It's yeah, Franz yeah. Dane. And that's the thing, because weirdly, I think looking at it, I felt more confident that he was going to get that kick than I felt about Mornay Stain's first one that he missed. Yeah. I felt more confident about him knocking that over from 60 yards on the angle than... A very good kicker, probably a ninety percent kicker in Mornay yeah. Stain, getting a much simpler kick. You know, that's a very good with with Stain. I mean, with Mornay actually, even he was so he was actually pretty brilliant at his kicking. So we got so used to Stain being our go-to man mm-hmm. all the further kicks. So automatically, our attitudes when we watch these games is like, now go Stain, past that fifty, you can at least do it. Mornay came as a surprise at certain things, so. Yeah, it was lucky to have a player like that at that time to yeah. do those 58 metre kicks. <laughs> yes. I also enjoyed this kind of era of Fran Stein, having had obviously early young Fran Stein, you know, who was just like enormously confident, and an old Fran Stein who was, his hairline was going and enjoying the pies. Um, but still, you know, <laughs> yeah. effective at either end. And in the middle, you have this weird like disco perm Fran Stein with, <laughs> with this kind of, he looks like, like, like Maureen's gone out for the disco club and she's got her hair done special, you know, in order to go out and play bingo on a Saturday night. But, but instead she's playing inside centre. Yeah. Instead she's walloping kicks from the team hotel in his slippers. His transformation has been very interesting over the years. And I suppose he could be uh, remembered as that as well, with the, the looks and the sizes. Because, I mean, 
know, when he started in 2007, he was a luck stick type chap. He just got bigger and bigger and developed um, as he grew. I think he started his Springbok career as a winger, didn't he, as well? And that's unthinkable to think at the end of his career. Yeah, and he moved, he moved around quite a lot. I mean, I remember him for the Sharks. Um, he mm. was a solid young kid. And we all thought at one point, even though he's got a little bit of height on him, he's too small uh, mm. or he's too skinny thin and he's going to get flattened. And yet he actually bulked up quite nicely and, yeah. uh, and became, even with his size at that younger age too, he was brilliant in all, all, all formats. And I think his, his, his attitude within the game is quite serious and, uh, and to the point, um, definitely helped him develop and grow as a player. Yeah. And did you just look at the rest of that Springboks team? You've got a very young Pat Lambie in a fullback, slots in. Uh, exactly. Just in South Africa, kind of going for absolutely maximum distributors, which I enjoyed. I liked seeing a Springbok team this brutal yeah. chuck yeah. the ball around and pass it as much as they did. And I'll tell you what, it, the, some of their pack are pretty underrated yeah. uh, distributors as well, like Hein Brousseau and Scott Berger. They could pass so, the ball. So I never yeah. thought of Schalke Berger as a distributor, but this game, he just, it reminded me of, there was a game a few years ago when Bastereau came into the France team and just started throwing mad 30-meter miss balls all the time. Like, no, you're, you're Master Bastereau, what are you doing? You're supposed to slowly crash it up the middle on your way to the pie shop. I've used pies a lot today. Um, but <laughs> Schalke Berger was, yeah, coming in and throwing these miss Play passes like and distributing. He was, he was, he was brilliant. In a way, different in a brilliant way to the way I'm used to him being brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, when even watching any game with Skulk, when he passed the ball, mm. you got quite shocked because mm. you, you're so used to him banging his blonde locks um, with, at the time um, in any form of player when he was yeah. passing the ball. I think they, even the opponents get shocked and not sure what to do, and then all of a sudden things happen. So I, I agree that the passing side is definitely interesting. Mm. And I suppose on the exact opposite end of the hair spectrum, um, I want to <laughs> yeah. touch on the first try scored by the one and only Gerfro Steinkamp, who I remember during this World Cup, our myself and um, the esteemed Mr. William Owen, uh, I, I assume he's not your dad as well, Gareth. Uh, though, <laughs> frankly, if he's in South Africa, that explains where he's been the last few years. Um, yeah. So <laughs> anyway... I remember him during the World Cup mishearing Gerfro Steinkamp's name as Jeffro Deathcamp. And ever since, I have called him yeah. Jeffro Deathcamp. He, he will always be Jeffro Deathcamp in our household. <laughs> Which I, I love his name. He's a and brute. It, that egg. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a scary looking man. Like, he is the man who, no matter what, even pre COVID, you'd cross the street to avoid. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I remember his first game. I don't know if I, one of the blue teams, I think it was Uruguay, and um, one of the teams he played against, we thumped this team, and the one guy tried to tackle him as his wide score try, and literally he ran, went straight into the gun, straight down. It's like a proper brick wall trying to yeah. trying to tackle, and that's a fond memory of Gatto, the way he just rooted through yeah. um, players and was terrifying to look at, and that nickname that you guys got now. I mean, that, that makes complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> and that is kind of his finish. It's really brutal, but it's a really good finish. It's like watching Jonah Lomu, only yeah, there we scarier. Go. It's like watching a, a, a Lomu or an Imani Nandolo or something who you know, properly crashes over. Like, two men go in to tackle him. They can't. One arm out, lunge, 
ball down, you know, like the cinematic at the beginning of like an EA Sports rugby game. I expect him to be yes. really pixelated as he's grounding the ball. Such a, such a... <laughs> The other notable thing about that period as well, in the lead up to the, I think it was the second try, the second try, uh, just on the prop front as well, is <laughs> Yanni Duplessis, the prop slash pediatrician, who takes <laughs> an up and under the bouncers. He takes it. He like basically steps someone. Then it takes four men attempt to tackle him before they get him to ground. And he probably steps two players as well. Yeah, it's not like he's got a nice little swerve on him. It's not like he just bumps them out of the way in a similar way to go through a stain camp did. Like he fully sidesteps like two Fijian players. I think that shocked a lot of people, even down here in South Africa, the way the, the men <laughs> because yeah. um, I mean he had his moments um, of class and then he had his odd moments where that's a disciplined body but that was definitely one to remember I still look at him and think that man's a paediatrician like I'm yeah. sure he's a very good one but he just he doesn't look the part just, I mean, just imagine being one of his patients and looking at this bloke and go how does this picture fit with him it's, there's almost there's a game to be played of taking rugby players and the least likely profession they could fit into so, you know... Like, Any other of those you can draw Like, up. okay, so go for a stain camp and weather girl. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> Get him in a skirt. That's an image. That's an odd image. <laughs> Somebody's going to tweet you that in the morning. Oh, that's coming. That's coming. Yeah. I look forward Somebody's to Somebody's going to Photoshop that. That's going to exist in 24 hours' time. I mean, to be honest with you, with the whole doctor talk of Yanni, I mean, a lot of people got confused and swapped um, yeah. the, the job lines of Bismarck being the doc and Yanni being like the farmer type because right. he comes across as a laid back you can have a beer with all, all that stuff you just don't see him as a doc and yeah. um, when I think it was my dad who eventually um, saw okay no wait it's, it's Yanni no this doesn't look right but okay good for you <laughs> that reminds me so about this period I was convinced that Morning and Francois Stain were brothers yeah and- I only learned they weren't about a year ago yeah, it's, I learned it a few Even years ago. Even as a South African, I yeah. thought that too full a short period of time yeah. that they were related. Why was it? Why Why did everyone think? Was it just because they both had huge boots and that was enough? That's all it takes to go. That's, of course, the most genetic bit. It seems to be a thing, Dania, because even with um, Andre Fenton, if we go back a few years mm. past that, I mean, and AJ Fenton, um, both guys, one played for the Sharks, one played for the Free States, both played for the Springboks. Everyone thought these two were brothers. Um, and it was for a long, long time until internet gets a bit more updated and then we could see mm. that they're actually not. And it's a yeah. bit, it's something similar like that with Mornay and Francois. I yeah. mean, they're both Afrikaans chaps. Um, mm. I don't know, maybe it's a bit of that and then it's stain and stain. I think it's automatically you see two surnames in a team and you automatically put them through. If yeah. you look at the histories of families like in cricket, the War Brothers and all that stuff. Um, I mean, they don't really look alike, but um, I must mm. say we all thought that they were related to for a short period of time. <laughs> I think they look just enough alike that if somebody told you they're related, you'd believe it. Yeah, yeah. That's like yeah. as much as Big it gets. Point. Yeah, I have the same thing like with uh, Duncan and Adam Jones, the props who played exactly, for Wales, who yeah. both had the hair bears, uh, and both had long hair. One of them was blonde and one of them was black hair, but like, regardless, people just thought, oh, they must be related because they've got the yeah. same haircut. And they're both props. I remember <laughs> listening to, towards the end of their career, like one of the last few games of the Ospreys together, 
uh, an Irish pundit, I forget who it was, repeatedly calling them the Jones brothers. It's like, <laughs> if it was earlier on, I'd let it off. But also, if you're looking at a Welsh team and thinking, God, they're both called Jones, they must be related. Yeah. You're adding up the entire 15. Yeah, you're there's about three cr- families in yeah, the Welsh how, national team. Exactly. How come Davis is playing with 14 brothers? That's We we have six names between us, um, and I feel honestly quite proud to have the sixth most common. Yeah. Um, <laughs> every now and again, you know, like we have we have the odds, um, odd thing that doesn't fit into the family names, like like Nick Tompkins, obviously proudly Welsh, but yeah. not, or Falatel, not South African. I was, about to, I was about to say Falatel is a traditional Welsh yeah. name. That's where my joke it is going. Uh, but thank you. <laughs> Navidi as well, traditional Welsh name, Tiberic, yeah. uh, all of them. Uh, especially Falatel. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I also will throw up just on, because we're talking about props, and I think it's, it's nice to say on props. The scrum, so basically, you've got a look on your face. Why don't you talk about it? It was very one-sided come the second half, wasn't it? Yeah. Particularly, I mean, Gofer Stankamp did, did a very good job of shoring up the Fijians, but like by the time they were battered and the beast came on, every single scrum that Fiji had went against the head. And like you know that your scrum is dominant when you can mm. pick the ball up from a number eight, and on the same phase, your props can be carrying the ball. <laughs> like that's how dominant yes. it was. It was one so I think true. it was. Um, yeah, the beast ended up carrying the ball off the back of PSB's picking and going. Like mm. that's how dominant it was on the opposition ball as well. Yeah. So Fiji have a scrum in the last minute in their own twenty-two, and the box properly go for it and shove them off it. It it's like watching the George Impact scrummage against yeah. children. But they. They chase it so hard. And I think that, they were, I mean, I wouldn't want to whether Fiji, I mean, I still think they're quite a talented team and have a lot of mm. potential. But you don't see that often against a Fiji team that is normally known as brute strengths to yeah. fight back and go in the scrum. So that was good to see some some strong movement from from the box and the beast getting a good through to space. So. It's definitely a premium. And against that uh, Fiji team for me is quite solid to remember. Yeah. And it is, as we mentioned it before, but that South African pack is absolutely brutal. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah. so Victor Matfield doesn't play, but oh, but in comes Darnie Rousseau, who's, again, even more brutal and yeah. just as able, well, not just as able because Victor Matfield is one of the best locks of all time, but, you know, yeah. a very, very good international standard lock. Like, even where they went down to second-choice players, they were still, it's a very strong team. Backy's border goes off half-time. They bring on Willem Alberts and Francois Lowe plays even a stint in the second row. Like, that's the extent of their strength and depth within yeah. this one game. It's insane. I think we're going back to Daniel and so a lot of people he didn't get much of the credit that I think he deserved because of the the competition that South African rugby yeah. Ha- yeah. had with with the de- the depth more than the competition. Because even when he played for the Bulls, you still got Victor and Bucky's boy to take the line out in a in, in a team like the Bulls, especially when they come back. Then they had their moments when the Springboks trained and all that. So for me, I think he could he might have had a lot more to offer because certain people you either liked him or you or you didn't. Um, there was a lot of people who were quite critical of old or so, but for me, he just got he got better with age, um, yeah. which is unfortunate in a way because he, if he got stronger at a younger age, could have been much better um, mm. from that point. But um, good player still. Yeah, and it's easy to get lost in because like quite often you get one of these utility forwards. Obviously, um, 
uh, Rasoka playing anywhere from four to eight, you know, in the pack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, often a lot of these players kind of just get shoveled away and just thought, oh, we'll have him on the bench in case someone gets injured sort of thing. But no, he could come in and, as, as you were saying, Robbie, earlier, like, he could mm. do almost as good a job as Matfield, which, yeah. you know, yeah. properly made a name for himself. He's such a good player. Yeah. And his finish on his try towards the... I think it is the last try, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. Where he, he hits a lovely line and dives really early. In a way, I was having this conversation with someone else before about how useful it is. I was on the, the Under the Sticks podcast the other week, and I was saying that how useful it is having a winger come in to try and finish from one inch out. And actually, he has that kind of instinct of like he that's a that's the finish of someone who knows how to finish at the end, rather than a forward crashing over the line, which normally you know they're dragging someone with them and it's kind of a an afterthought getting the ball down, rather than being no, this is my job, I'm going to get the ball down. Um, it's a very good finish, like Jeffrey Death Camps in the first half, which is a sensational <laughs> finish from a loose head. Uh, should we just finish off on the second try as well, the Jacques Ferry's try? Yes. So we've talked about Johnny Duplessis' break, but the handling to then set that up for Jacques Ferry is absolutely perfect. That both stains distribute, and Pat Lambie then gave a really nice little simple pop, just because he knows mm. somebody's slightly more qualified to finish it outside in. Because Jacques Ferry yeah. is genuinely, for this period of time, was one of the best finishers in the world. So, Agreed. well, we have that obviously the try against the Lions, the yeah, yeah, try of the year finish. winning try, yeah, brilliant finish. And he does basically that again in the corner. <laughs> At times, this feels a bit like the Springboks playing the hits, doesn't it? It's yeah. a bit, you know, Francis <laughs> steps up and does his long range kick. You have Fori yes. uh, doing that, you have the beasts kind of crashing over. At one point, he gets that carry for the, the try, and everyone gets to go, beast. Yeah. Here's, here's one speaking of the Springboks' greatest hits, there's a bit where, um, Fiji actually win a scrum, funnily enough, <laughs> wow. but the Springboks have them under so much pressure that the Fijian number eight, Matadingo, fumbles it at the back, and Fori Dupria then hacks the ball down the sideline, Yes, and then he tries to set it up for Spies on his inside by doing like a football-style cross, almost yeah. no-looker. And like, who, who else in the world would think to do that? But, I mean, Fori Dupria remains just one of the best players I will ever see. Yeah, like, I I yeah. say that with confidence. Not just one of the best players I've ever seen, will ever see. I it'll be the, a long time before some of his rugby intelligence comes along. The only player I've also seen do that exact skill before and pull it off was Ron Pina, mm. who was the <laughs> Springboks bench nine for this game. Yeah. So, well, he wasn't. So Ruben Pina was the cover nine with Franzo Hugar as the cover te- cover nine. Sorry, Ruben Franzo Hugar was the cover scrum <laughs> half. Ruben Pina was the cover fly half, and you you and Joan de Jong cover center could also play on the wing at a push uh except they then bring hugar on on the wing and pinar on at scrum half so they don't put their scrum half on at scrum half they put him on the wing yeah and they don't put i don't know it just it confused us down here too because obviously the depth of in south africa at scrum off at that time was just remarkable mm. um and if i have to be honest yeah i was a bit questioned on uh there was a scrum off in, in first statute is Kutsara Pretorius, who mm. my mm. I should have been in this yeah. World Cup squad. Um, because I think he was 2011 Super Rugby Player of the Year and he was just outstanding. And so the depth within the nine is just remarkable. And when you've got a guy going back to like um, Ferdi Dupria, you can literally take control a whole game as we've seen in the past, as we've seen in this World Cup even. Uh, the leadership quality, the, the discipline, he offers so much class. Yeah. And I mean the, the the great thing with the depth of South African rugby was you got Francois Ochard, where do we put him? You got Ruan Pino, where do we put him? 
And yeah. um, that for me, like normally you see Francie go into Alcott, into number nine possession of the Ruan. So that also got me a little confused there. But <laughs> when you go back to to um, Francois Alcott, he played a lot of wing for for the Bulls as well because mm. of Farida Priya being the main guy again. Yeah. So these guys have had to mix around and change things up. Yeah. And again, going back to um, Ron Pinard, I mean, for the Sharks, you had Rory Cocker, Charm McLeod. You also had quite another depth within the Sharks team. So yeah. Pinard was produced into 10. And that's why Lambie all of a sudden went from 10 to 15. So it's, it's a whole world world of these yeah, guys could actually play in different positions. That's an insane level of depth, isn't it? That yeah. Cocker obviously went on to become like one of the best players in the top 14 for ages. I think it's criminal that Saro Pretorius never got a cap. And, you know, he was always sort of the token. The Barbarians would always take him with oh, them. as yeah. like one of the best yeah, cap players. Pick. Yeah. He was one of my favourite rugby players at that time. And yeah. I tweeted it. I think it's got back on my tweets. So where the heck is this guy? Why aren't they just giving him one go? Not even maybe World Cup, just build him in. Just yeah. to see, because I, I promise you, if he had played in that gold jersey, green gold jersey, up. something would have happened. Yeah. And he would have been, in my mind, not free to Priya's level, but probably just behind him and mm. would outrank the other guys, in, in my opinion. But again, I'm biased. Well, I'm not really, because I'm not a cheater supporter. I'm a shark supporter. So either way... I could be technically favouring Rob, you know, because <laughs> I think, or oh, if you've gone overseas. But yeah, the depth is madness. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, but it was after this World Cup that PNR signed for Ulster because they were the only club that was offering him a contract at Scrumoff. Whereas everyone else was saying, we want to play you as 10, we want to play you as a fullback, we want to play you as a utility back. Whereas Ulster went, you're a Scrumoff, you want to play Scrumoff, we'll sign you. And I remember their press conference, or their, their press release rather when they signed him, said, this is stage one in us trying to become the best rugby club in the world. And that felt hilarious at the time, that they'd signed that a mid-table Pro 14 team said, we're going to be the best team in the world and we've signed a player to play out position. And then actually it kind of worked. Yeah, actually, yeah. he became one of the best signings any European team ever made. And genuinely, I've seen dozens of times I've supported a Welsh region play against Ulster and yeah. Ron Pienaar always waits till the 80th minute before he knocks over the winning penalty, yeah. doesn't he? So I I met Ron Pienaar last <laughs> He's year. He's done up with the Sharks too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I met Ron Pienaar last year and I, I made that joke to him. I brought that up to him. Really? And really? I said that I've come to refer to wow. anyone scoring a last minute winner as doing a Pienaar. Yeah. And he said something like, it's just coincidence that they all happen to fall to me in the last minute. Uh, and I was like, yeah, you're being too humble. Shut up and enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and he brought up like the one against the Dragons, the one against the Scarlets. He said, I'll do it a couple of times with the Sharks. You know, he kept, they kept coming up. 
You say uh, <laughs> the one against the dragons and the one against the scarlets. Which one? Because it happened. I can think of about ten for each. Yeah. Because my favourite one was against the dragons when he kicks a penalty. Then the dragons get down in like seventy-seven minutes or something. Dragons get downfield from the restart. And Jason Tuffy drops a goal to put them back ahead. And then in like the eighty-third minute, Pinar himself drops a goal and wins it. Yeah. So he'd won all that game twice in the last five minutes. I'm pretty sure they moved him to 10 specifically so he could drop that goal as well. Yeah. Like, he started the game at 9 and moved to 10 just so he could drop that goal. Because if it's the last-minute kick, Pinar's going to get it. Doesn't matter yeah. where it is, doesn't matter what the score is, whatever. Doesn't matter how you're playing, doesn't matter yeah. what you pack. <laughs> Pinar's getting that kick. He's taking it from Francois Stein's hotel room. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing about this, it, it actually it gets me quite a bit, is hearing you guys talk about Lord Pinar and all, all those great things. You know that... News did not travel much really? back down home in South Africa. It, um, when he left, it was quite, I think maybe because at the time, Supersport didn't show the overseas games as much as they do now, thanks to Pro 14 and all that stuff. But, I mean, these, this is all almost news to us because, really? wow. I mean, yes, he got a good, we knew he had a great reputation over there. But for, we just didn't see it. So when he came down and got selected, people lost, like, got, got irritated because it's like, why can I not? For example, me, yeah. I will go and rather at the time have gone for um, Sora Pretorius going longer mm. in the time, but they kept bringing Pinot back, and that used to frustrate some of us. Mm. Yeah. Um, because why Pinot when you've got Sara or, or even Francois Hochart shining, mm. or even Rory Cockett, who later went on to go play for France because he never yeah. got up his uh, opportunities. So, this is very interesting. Yeah, you guys yeah. talking about, about Pinot because he, this I rated him highly in the Sharks. I thought he was brilliant and I was gutted when he left us. But then uh, it was like, okay, Pinot, we remember him, but who's this chap? And not only when he comes back to the Cheetahs, then we start remembering and seeing the quick, clever moves that he mm. has to offer. So this is fascinating for me. Yeah, and likewise, world class. Yeah. That's really interesting because he is now talked about as one of, as I just said, one of the best signings a European team ever made. Yeah. And... You know, that, that got me. That's why I went yeah. into a pause when you said that one of the best. I thought, really? And then yeah. hearing all these things, I'm actually going to go back and find highlights yeah. to, to do this because he was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a sad thing with a lot of South African players that have gone overseas. We pretty much forget them. Yeah. Because unless they're really highly rated in Springboks, because... At the time, there was that ruling when they needed a certain amount of caps. Mm. Uh, and Pinar obviously qualified for that. But we never got to see those moments overseas of what yeah. these guys produce. Now we hear about what Fuff is doing for the South Sharks of William LaRue for Wasps um, and all that stuff. So we're hearing it more and more now, I think, because of the Pro 14. Uh, it's all been brought back. But when you go to the, even the French leagues, uh, we don't see it. Often much yeah. of that. You hear about Colby because Colby's uh, the <laughs> yeah. most talked about thing these days. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's fascinating to hear that. Yeah. I was then almost surprised when Cobus Ryanat got called up by the Springboks because mm. he was brilliant for Northampton last year. He was like, you know, team of the year type performances. And, you know, I think he was the top try score in the Premiership last season as well. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. yeah. I rated him highly that man. I think yeah. he's yeah. genius. I was glad when he left the shots. And another guy who almost disappeared off the radar. And I always kept my yeah. eye on him, maybe because of the YouTube thing, because I just saw quite a lot of potential in him. And if we had to go back before the World Cup or before Fuff, Fuff really got 
wanted to shine in 2019, I would have picked Reinach because mm-hmm. I just felt he had a bit more to offer. He was quick. He didn't do as much kicking. Or oh, when he did, he would get it right. Um, and then Fife obviously got better and better yeah. and, and improved, but still had his fault. Um, but Reinach for me was pure quality. But again, once they left, the, when he left the Sharks, you like, didn't really hear of him. So you can ask my two passionate South African rugby fans, they couldn't tell you where, where he is or what he's doing because it's yeah, fascinating. Yeah. It's unfortunate we don't get to see as much rugby or it's not as advertised like sharing these home guys who yeah. we grew up watching or who we watched a lot of rugby who have now gone overseas to do great things. But yet we forget. Yeah. And because it doesn't really happen the other way around, really. You know, like I, I know I've been didn't see that much of Lee Halfpenny or Geffen Jenkins or whoever when they went too long. Um, I saw a bit of Jonathan Davis at Claremont, but often it does disappear because even if it's on TV still here, it's on different channels. So, you know, if you're paying yeah. a subscription to Premier Sports or, you know, whatever to watch the Pro 14 and to watch Europe, you're then going, oh, well, it's on Sky. I've got to pay, you know, more money to watch this. Good example of that's Reese Webb, who yeah. went to France and we weren't really sure how he was playing and got reports no. that he wasn't doing that well. And now he's come back, come back into the Wales team and didn't do great in that was Six Nations. Great. Yeah. yeah. So but that's interesting. Because he left with a great reputation as yeah. our best scrum half. And then we recalled him on the base of that once he was eligible again, once he re-signed to rejoin the Ospreys. And suddenly he wasn't playing well. He'd yeah. spent too long sat by a pool injured and wasn't a great form. But yeah. Um, but I mean, even another one on this uh, this topic mm. is France Stein. I mean, yeah. we know him because he's a great... But people forgot, oh, what's Frank Stein doing? Mm. I mean, I kept a, a, an eye on him because he still did amazing drop goals when he went over to Russia yeah. and, yeah. and, and long kicks. I think it's one of the top um, of the furthest kicks in rugby or something like that. And so I could see getting updated, but you never heard that positive media back. It was like, once they're gone, they're gone, bye-bye. We forget about you. And I think yeah. that's the mentality that I've now grown into because I understand it a bit more. Because when these guys um, go overseas, it's like stuff in South Africa, you'll never hear it from me again. That's the way the media kind of portray yeah. it down here, in my opinion. It's better now, the past two, three years. But you never heard of these guys, the Francis and all that stuff, unless it's stuck here. Yeah. Well, I think South Africa is one of only, only South Africa, England, New Zealand have the player pool to do that and have the sheer level of talent. Yeah. That, you know, uh, Someone like a team like Scotland could never afford to do that because they've only got two professional teams and it's kind of it's tricky to do. And Wales struggles because even though rugby is a huge cultural thing, it just doesn't have the population and we can't afford to lose two, you know, like once a generation type athletes. Whereas South Africa almost can because they've got so much strength and depth and they've always had someone who can step up, you know, like you've got, as we mentioned, like Sarah Pretorius, we keep coming back to, is someone who can always perform and. If suddenly you had a bus crash and you lost to broken legs rather than anything more serious, but say South Africa's three most senior scrum halves, he could have come in and done a perfectly good job. Definitely. Whereas if Wales did that, you'd be calling someone up from National Division One who, you know, you'd be called Will, you'd be playing. You'd be yeah, there. I would be. Yeah. That happened. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we go back to the game? I was thinking, thinking, should we should we touch Sorry, on yeah. um, oh, no, 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 no. To be fair, it's interesting. This has that been like really a record level of rugby talked about on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. It's amazing. No, that's fascinating. I haven't mentioned one foreign language film. Great. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> so, uh, to touch on the Fiji team, because it's a... Uh, 
I think this Fiji team were far better than I remembered in this game. Just they couldn't finish yeah. anything. Yeah, I think they for a lot of it they did an impression of a team who were in the game. Um, yes. However, that prolonged for longer than I remember it being. I seem to yeah. remember for like ten minutes they they were sort of camped on their own line but managing to clear decently, sort of thing. Yeah. But no, they actually made some good breaks and managed to have a few decent opportunities yeah. in the South African twenty-two. There's one in particular where Lovanyani chipped it over the top from his own twenty-two, mm. and I think it was maybe Lovanyani did like a a half volley into the South African 22 and they turned it over and had a decent opportunity. I think they yeah. might have maybe got three points out of it, but there was a few opportunities like that when you, and you think like if they had somebody like a semi-rendrander or somebody who could straighten the line, they could have scored, mm. you know? Yeah. And because they were actually attacking quite well in that first kind of 15 minutes in particular. Yeah. And I'd written a joke about seven minutes in of like Fiji have started well, but I remember the final score was obviously it was close to 50 <laughs> and just figured like maybe they think it's a sevens match. And they give up after seven <laughs> minutes. Um, and then actually they, they kept playing. Whenever they got the ball, they kept chucking it about. They kept doing Fiji things. They did this one pass. My favourite Fiji attack was when they got into the 22 and they did that thing that teams that aren't going anywhere do where they kind of make them lose the same five metres over and over again. Um, yeah. And then they twice, once they passed back into the pocket and Gonover stood there and he instead throws like a wide ball. Yeah. And so South Africa kind of think, oh, they're, they're deciding to throw the drop goal because we're not that far out you know range it's fiji it's weird that fiji are doing drop goals but fine we'll, we'll watch this and then minutes later they do exactly the same thing with seremiah by who was their goal kicker stood in in the pocket and instead no he dummies a drop goal and tries to run and you can tell it was never his plan to actually score the drop goal was it no he was always no. gonna run from there they probably had a call for fake a drop goal yeah and so we're dropping people <laughs> into the pocket for that one thing with this fiji team that i was impressed with them and I, I don't know if it's just because it's a Pacific Island team that is so strong and hard-hitting, mm. is uh, that the penalty level between both teams wasn't too far off. I think South Africa, yeah. you could see it at seven, and Fiji about 10 or 11, and there were no cards. So that mm. there was definitely a more disciplined yeah. side from this team opposed to what we've seen maybe in the past or seen games where, you know, they, they in a time when South Africa is scoring tries and getting ahead, Mm. Um, a hard tackle, yeah, just to injure the. Not saying they did that intentionally, but you know, with yeah. some games of frustrations, they want to just go and flatten this guy and yeah. we'll see uh, almost career in, in injury. But it, it didn't get to, to that point, yeah. which was also quite nice to see fitting in with how they played the game. Um, uh, uh, um, and like you said at the start, they're showing um, moments where they could have done something, scored tries, and getting parts of that really was. A good thing for me from 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 the Fiji side. Yeah, yeah, and I think on top of their, they said the discipline being solid enough. Um, yeah. They did kind of, I guess, keep their heads and they kept playing the way they wanted to the entire game. There was no yeah. imploding, and maybe maybe if they had you know changed things up, they would have worked better, or whatever. But they clearly had a way they wanted to play, and that was passing a lot. Yeah. What shocked me a lot was that the way that they play off 10, their sort of, like, I guess, pod structure, as it would have been mm. known about then, wasn't that dissimilar to now? Mm. Like, except without any kind of... Uh, nothing to distract. In no, there. nobody out the back or anything like that, yeah. which is obviously the key difference. But in terms of the way that they would sort of try and get wide off first and second phase... I think the way yeah. that they would progress that is actually quite similar to the way they play now. And sort of the way yeah. they stack their forwards and off 10 and stuff, I think was very interesting. But yeah. 
and it is they have the classic Fiji problem or classic South Sea Islands in general because they don't have the systems in place to develop athletes yes. especially. Yeah. They're reliant on, as I said, those kind of once-in-a-generation talents coming along. And every yeah. now and again, it is in 2007, and they, they actually had last year, but they got quite unlucky in, in A, Ungera getting injured. No, sorry, not Ungera. Um, Yato. Yato getting yeah. injured against against Australia. Australia. Mm. And then, obviously, Wales, just that being a really mentally tough team, I managed yeah. to pull through. And I think them being... And Uruguay, ha- all 15 players having the game of their lives um, yeah. and just having such <laughs> heart and soul to it. Whereas that you look at this team, really, there's Nalanga, who was brilliant in the French League, the kind of two years leading into this. You had Nakarau at the start of his career, and you had Angera. And that's kind of it in terms of Fiji players we still yeah. talk about. You know, Matadigo is a very good player, and there's a few yeah. of those in there. Gonova, okay. I thought, had a good World Cup. But again, he was coming through being a sevens player who was only just converting to 15s for this World Cup. Yeah. And he looked kind of raw, even though he looked very talented and very good, and he had a few good touches in this game. It it wasn't a Fiji team with the component parts and they didn't have a figure like Ben Volavola or someone yeah. who can kind of string it together a bit. Yeah. I think Nalanga had a really good game, actually. I think mm. he, he really kept going. And like, the thing is, I mean, James Peterson had, obviously had a great game for South Africa. Obviously, um, Nalanga was opposite Undangani, yeah. uh, who is a player I have mixed opinions about. But um, no, I think Nalanga, that was sort of the one player uh, who not got... the only one. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Nalanga was the one player on the Fiji team who really got the better of his opponent number. And, like, mm. every carry he made was positive and he had two tries disallowed, of course. Yeah. Uh, he had a really good game and really kept motoring to the last minute. Yeah. It was gutting that one great Fiji try from the... I mean, Angera throws a ridiculous 20-metre pass that does go about 20 metres forward. Yeah. But it was a great try and I <laughs> yeah. kind of wanted it being given... Just because of the audacity of Fiji throwing so many offloads and it resulting in a flanker throwing a 20-meter mispass. Yeah. I will pick up as well then, if you're on the, the Fiji side. Uh, I enjoyed... So, obviously, playing against a team that had Foy Dupria and Mornay Stain, and as mentioned, yeah. they've also got Fran Stain and Pat Lambie in the team. So many kicking options, they're going to kick the ball a lot. And one of my favorite things I discovered in this match was I, I, I'd never quite paid attention to it before, but the Kerry Murimurivalu mm-hmm. school of fullbacking which is that you don't waste any energy until you've got the ball. <laughs> so he will let the ball bounce to him. He won't run onto it. None of that. He will let the ball bounce over to him or he will get as close to it as he can and wait. He stands about 25 yards will... too deep as well, doesn't he? Yeah, so exactly. the ball comes to him. Yeah. So the ball comes onto him. He can then, the moment he catches it, get immediately up to full speed and pelt at anyone nearby. Sometimes he'll try and step them, but mostly he'll just charge at them and occasionally look like, oh, Nalanga's next to me. I might pass to him. But actually, I'm just going to charge into him. Should we talk about the one time he tried kicking the ball? Yeah, yeah, okay. Didn't end well, did it? And the fact the fact was, I mean, he didn't at any point learn that if you run slightly in field, there's less of a chance of this happening. But he mm. just tries putting it up. And genuinely, I think it lands either side of the advertising hoarding in terms of it going out on the full. Like, it was not good. And he looked like he'd never kicked the ball in his life and just kind of looks around like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking there, lads. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of moments of that for Fiji. There's a couple of moments of just players throwing yeah, passes that weren't on yeah. or, or trying kicks and just being like, sorry, I don't know why I just did that. That was just, <laughs> something came over me. Sorry. Sorry, lads. Not sure what that was about. This is probably a good way to come on to somebody not known for kicking who actually did a pretty good job. Heinrich Brousseau. Yes. Tries to front yes. stain. Let's talk about that. Yes. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Something looks wrong about it, but it's so perfectly placed 
for Franz Steen to run onto. Like if he passed the ball to him, Franz Steen wouldn't have had the way the space to run yeah. into. You know, he perf- perfectly places that, and then Steen finishes it well, stepping the fullback. That that guy, oh man, it's just uh, it's hard topic on Dynamic because he's just so damn talented, and I feel he could have had so much more for South Africa going forward. Yeah. So even reminiscing, going to see uh, class moves from him like that. Um, and other sparky moments that he that he's had to offer, it just uh, as a South African, I just wish the man didn't get some of the injuries. Yeah, I think he could have been regarded as one of the greats within Southern Springbok rugby, and just doing something like that, having the mind thought to to think at a moment, uh, and and working so well, rather mm-hmm. than not going for that to get that actual try, it's just remarkable. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's strength over the ball on both sides as well just his ability to, to turn it over because he's very much in that mould of Pocock, Warburton and McCaw of that kind of like insane shoulders and quite tall and able to just kind of like bend over but withstand hit after hit on his body. But also he I was... I mean, so Richie good. McCaw went on saying that he's petrified of the man if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. It's the one wow. spring walk we're actually scared of because of just the brute strength that this guy is to offend, like you say, how he can steal the ball and, uh, and do remarkable things. Mm. Um, just pure class. I remember him saying he was the he was in the top, like he made a list of like, the five best flankers he ever played. Yes, against. it was and that it was, one. Sorry. Yeah, because it, it was the top. Yeah, yeah, and I think he was. I think it was him second to Yeah, Dusa or something because it was Dusa was just lucky in that he always caught it, caught the All Blacks on a bad day. The one player always outplayed the call. Yeah, yeah, and didn't sweat apparently, like Prince Charles, Prince Andrew, whatever. Prince Charles, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, Heinrich Rousseau, I thought, was excellent and so key in... There are enough times, you know, Angara being Fiji's best player on that team at open side was a really good jackaler and he got nothing all day because you had Rousseau yeah. and Berger just charging into them when they weren't putting in little chip kicks and doing floated passes. It's a great Fijian back row as well. Wangani Barotu is still yeah. known as Fiji's probably prime poacher in 2019. Yeah, Matadingo, who we've touched on already, incredibly rangy, athletic number eight. Like, it's a good back row, and they were completely anonymous thanks to the South yeah. African back row, who just completely dominated them all game. Yeah, absolutely. Should we talk about Mornay Stain's try as well? Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, which again came from Brousseau offloading to him on like a hard carry, and it was just a one-on-one. And he, I, I, he might have, it might have even been one-on-two. He might have had two people mm. marking. He still managed to get two hands free or float over the top of Mornay Stain, who's, frankly, Mornay Stain's running game is so underrated. Yeah. Yeah. People remember him as this just kicking fly half, but there was so much more to so it. So much to his game. Yeah. And you look at the the try the beast finishes, where yes. he goes, throws dumb, he goes straight through, managed to get the offload in. And some of his distribution, you know, in the lead up to the, he throws a great pass in the lead up to the Jacques Ferry try. He was excellent. He had an all proper all round game. I, th- I, I, you, you actually had percent spot on. And when you, when you think of Mornay, it, it is the, the the kicking side. Uh, I don't know if it goes back to the Nasbourne days. Um, and people didn't always acknowledge the, the skill that the man actually has all round. Mm. Um, and he definitely showed it there. Um, so it's a good when you reminisce and go back because I mean obviously you you hear certain thoughts and opinions of different players of how they've been rated and all that stuff. Mornay would always be looked to, but going back there, it definitely shows um, the class that the man has to offer, and, and many other games um, he's done it as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's just always a tough one when you're the kicker 
and you're reliant on getting those three points or those two points. Um, and, and I think that takes away so much of the authority of these guys in the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My one other thing I've got just jotted down is I had well, a couple of points on the South African coaching box because there's the very familiar face sat to one side of it of Mr. Johan Razi Erasmus, who a few times they put, they they throw to, they mention, and it does get you wondering a bit, like how much, how big an influence do you think he had? How much of them Massive. doing these things do you think were actually Razi? I think that's the thing, and if we go back to the Springboks under Peter de Villiers and all mm. that stuff, I always said it, it's it's the team that he's got in the background. I mean, Rassi yeah. was known for transforming a, a Chile's team into a Curry Cup winning team, which they hadn't done in God knows how long. And the famous going on the roof, waving his flag, I mean, all his signs, I mean, that was the highlight. For, it's like, what the hell is Rassi doing? And then like you said, going into that coaching staff, um, it's just remarkable what what he did. And I I think he had a major, major influence mm. in that squad if you look at where we are now. I mean, I know Kutsia was there too, but I mean, he did his one or two things that worked for the Springboks, but not many did actually. <laughs> but then there was also Dick Muir, who I think a lot yes. of people tend to forget about. I mean, he's also transformed a few parts there. And I think the team that the Villiers had was remarkable. So I agree. Mm-hmm. Rassi, I think, had a, a pure point. And I mean, he's a key, quick off topic, into helping to try and reform the Southern Kings that have just gone down in the mm-hmm. in the dumps down here. So now, it's, it's and it always goes back to Rassi said, how's this? Uh, I really feel um, it did have a part in, in the strong developing moments there. Yeah. And I think he's someone who has this just completely innate rugby understanding. I was got the same thing from Warren Gatland. Um, And there's a handful of coaches you look at and you like, I trust you completely. And a lot of it's down to the fact that no matter how much the game changes, they'll go along with it. Like Eddie Jones is one of those, for example. Like he's coached for like, you know, seven different eras of rugby and kept up with it and innovated himself rather than just keeping up with it. It's funny. Look at that 2007 Springbok team that I don't know if you remember this, Gareth, as well, uh, won the World Cup. Um, but <laughs> they had behind Jake White, he had as assistant coaches both Eddie Jones and Razzy Erasmus, who go on yeah. to be the, the lead coaches, the head coaches for the 2019 final. Hell of a lot of sport acts that is. Yeah. I mean, Eddie Jones was a big talk about in 2007. Um, mm. And even my dad, I mean, I was a lot younger there. But um, it, it, was, it was one of the talking points is the influence of who was behind Jake. Jake White's team to give him that that boost because Jake was phenomenal and, and his mm. World Cup winning coach. But he also had his tendencies to favour certain players that might have not been right. Like we got back, Jakub van is not really rated very well here, um, and he was the fly off at times. But mm. the, the the support team it just shows the power behind um, and, and going back Eddie Jones and Igor Rassi. I mean, and now where we are, like you say to the finals. Yeah. It's just remarkable. Yeah. I also, you mentioned Dick Moore briefly. I just enjoy the fact that their predecessor to Wanky Stick was Dick Moore. I was thinking and this, we And yeah. we can move on from that very quickly. Um, <laughs> but yes. So um, I believe with that, I will use that as the best segue possible to move yeah. on to Dick of the Day. Dick Moore of, Dick the, day. Moore of yeah. the Day. Yes. Will, do you want to begin? Do you want to kick us uh, off? Sure. Dick okay. Us off. No, uh, I've got a couple, couple of nominations. 
One of them was Martin Gillingham. Firstly, for not mentioning Nottingham, which he's done on every <laughs> yes. other game he's commentated on. Yeah. He's not found a segue to mention Nottingham. Well, I, did, I, I went to try and check. It was definitely Martin Gillingham. Because yeah. it's the first time he hasn't mentioned Nottingham in a game. Part of his job. And it's not like it was just because it wasn't relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He also mispronounced Nakarawa's name, which is like, oh, you're going to regret that soon, aren't you? <laughs> he's like, oh, Nakarawa? Like that. It's like, oh, you will have reason to hear of this guy. Trust me. <laughs> Another one was Nemi Kanatale for box kicking into Deacon Manu's back at one point, <laughs> and it just kind of bobbling about the place. And everyone going, "Huh? What's happening?" Yeah. I'm going to give it to Napoleone Lange for the fact that on after there's two try scoring opportunities he had. One of them was the one with Ngera's pass you were on about, mm-hmm. and one of them where he just picks the ball up uh, from the 22, and he goes miles with JP Peterson on his back. JP Peterson, very strong man, and he manages to ground JP Peterson but not the ball. So, for that purpose, I'm going to give it to Napoleone Langer. <laughs> okay. Never mind the two disallowed tries. Yeah. Which, you know, also factors. So, I... My thought, right, I had, a, again, a few contenders, a couple of which you touched on there. Uh, however, for me, there were two contenders, one of which was the guy that put the reverse angle thing up on the TV coverage, because it kept coming up when there wasn't a reverse angle. And a few times, the moment a try was scored, it would just come up saying, reverse angle, and it'd still be the player celebrating before the reverse <laughs> angle came up. It's like, you're very eager to show us a reverse angle. And why do we even need to know it's a reverse angle? We can work that out. We can look at it and go, oh, that must be the reverse angle. Yeah. But instead, he really wants us to know that it is the reverse angle. So he was a contender. But my dick of the day was, and again, he's in contention about the match to me, but Yanni Duplessis. For at one point, the ball is loose on the ground and he becomes, I think, the only player in this World Cup and possibly any World Cup to ever nutmeg himself. What? So he goes to kind of like to hack the ball forward to try and like (laughs) properly boot it. He just catches the outside of his foot and instead it kind of bobbles an inch forward and he runs over it then looks down and sees the ball has gone between his own legs. I was wearing mine too. (laughs) (laughs) So Gareth, so do you have any contenders? Anyone for Dick of the Day for you? Yeah, it was one for the exact reason you had, but the South African commentary, I wanted to put them on the spot. They were just blinking, driving me mad at the way. I don't know if, I don't know if you, um, if I got back and certain highlights of that, mm-hmm. I just find the South African commentary very arrogant and um, so biased towards South Africa. And that's one thing I couldn't stand. It was one of the points that, that came across. Like, if we go back to Fiji actually showing quite a bit of potential mm. at the start where they could have done things. There was no credit given to them. Right. And uh, that always comes as a highlight to me. So my right. dick of the day are the commentators. Okay. Nice. Okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. And shall we move on to the man of the match? Sure. Um, should, I, should I start on this yeah, as well? Yeah, start this in the same order. Sure. I think Jake Peterson, as I say, had a great game. I think mm. came off his win quite a lot. He's such a strong man as well. And to say that they had no Habana in this game and he did enough work for the both of them. Like, he was great. Mornay Stain, as I say, like, controls the game brilliantly, runs brilliantly. Have, I think I've got to give it to Scott Berger yeah. in the way that he won so many turnovers, carried so hard, distributed. There was nothing he didn't do. Like, he's such a good player. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing exactly the same thing. That Scott Berger is, for me, the, the, the clear man of the match. Scott, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh! Unanimous. Oh, it's yeah. story. Second week in a row. Uh, I, I would do. 
didn't happen for the first how many of our episodes, then it's happened two twice in a row. Uh, unanimous <laughs> man of the match, yeah. yeah. Um, after Amorosino last week, now Scott Berger. You know, it's funny, funny about that. We all select um, Skulky. We, we spoke briefly about him, but um, yeah. interesting how we end off, off with that. But yet he wasn't. I mean, we did a lot about uh, stains and, and all that stuff. So interesting to finish off with Skulk. But I, I fully agree. And I, when I thought about it, I thought I was also on the lines of Mornay or even France or even Brissot just for those moments. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I thought Skulk for me is just, ach, I've always regarded him as a legend in the game, yeah, um, yeah. especially after his injury and all that jazz. Um, I rate him on it. Brousseau was very much in contention for me as well, but uh, Chuck Chuck Dorn. Dorn. I didn't it's quite well. telling when um, we've mentioned Sarah Pretorius more than we mentioned our actual <laughs> match. Even yeah. mentioned Jason Tubby. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the, the kind of player he was, that he did all of the yeah. quiet donkey work no one else wanted to do whilst also having those kind of blonde highlights so that it really showed whenever he did anything more flashy. Yeah. Um, he carried really hard. I mean, he... Go no, it was, it was Skulk. It's like you either loved him or people just didn't like him, which I could never understand. I, I don't, my best mate, schoolmate, or still mate today, his father couldn't stand Skulk. Um, I always like punted him and wrote to the guy. But certain people just either liked or didn't like him, probably thought he was too uh, quick or going bashing our people. Like with the, the we always know him as the, the locks, like what we took off of. It was yeah. Skulk in the, in, back in the day with, with that stuff. So for me, uh, it's just a king. Yeah, absolutely. Yoni Duplessis was the other guy I thought was pretty outstanding. I thought the, the scrum he played 80 minutes, which, you know, these days is very rare for a prop, but to be doing that and then in the 80th minute, be really yeah. smashing and turning over a scrum like that, having also beaten four defenders in a run where you sidestep two people. Any prop yeah. that can do that for me is in contention man of the match. But yeah, I think Berger stood... Three strong prop performances from yes. South Africa. Yeah. Uh, speaking of prop performances, I just want to quickly throw up something I meant to say at the beginning. I meant to kick off on this, but instead we'll finish on it. So in the pre-match press conference, Deacon Manu, who was Fiji's captain at this World Cup, made the following opening remark when asked about playing for Fiji. He began by talking about what we lack in resources we make up for in talent. And then he said, the fields we train on in Fiji are littered with frogs. <laughs> they are an eye-opener, even for someone like me. You're rarely able to use a full pitch. There are so many frogs. Most of the time, you have to make do for 22. And coming to New Zealand, it was such a contrast that most of these guys wanted to sleep on the grass we trained on. What? <laughs> yep. Had so many frogs they couldn't train on it. That's incredible. <laughs> so, wow. so, yeah. The it's... late contender for Dick of the Day is all of those frogs. All of the frogs. All yeah. McCartney <laughs> organising the frog choir uh, yeah. on the pitch. There is... <laughs> before, before we finish, uh, there is one last thing that I would like to talk about. Because just waxing okay. lyrical about how good Scott Berger was there, every time I hear somebody do it, it reminds me of this great interview with a man called Constant Beckerling. <laughs> Captain, Constant Beckerling. Constant, talk us through those 80 minutes. Now we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. It's two weeks for you guys. Two wins for you guys on the trot. Where to from here for the Vits team? 
Well, it's head down, building. We've got a lot of games still to win. We're a lot of brave boys, and let's go shake this tournament up. Now, we've got a question for you coming off of Twitter. It comes from Adam McGregor underscore Nicholas. You worked yourself like a Trojan horse. Who is your Springbok hero that helps you move the way that you do? I would say it was uh, Skolt Berger, absolute hard man, tough as nails, and a big brain to boot, humble guy, what a fighter. Just the same as you are bringing up your career. Yeah, there's constant beckling. That is Scott Berger. the best summary of Scott Berger we've had. And he talks about it more in his post-match interview than we did in yeah. an hour on a game where he was outstanding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that good. That's, that is one of the all-time great interviews um, alongside, you know, Gaminara, alongside Khaleesi after the finals last year yeah. and, and constant beckling. Okay. On that note, <laughs> Gareth, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, uh, thank where you, can Gareth. people find you? Thank where you, can Judge. people... Where can people find you for, you know, the YouTube and so on? Just the uh, YouTube, Gareth Mason or Walking Door to Man, you'll see see me pop up there. Um, yeah. Brilliant. It's worth, I think. Thanks for having me. Watching your, your live stream of the final. Just in that. I love <laughs> watching people be excited and happy about, you know, about the, the one about the Springboks won. Yeah. Springboks won that final, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Um, if you don't know, go find out by checking out Gareth Mason's <laughs> channel. But yeah, if you've ever wanted to see something just so... I can't even find the words. There aren't words. You just... just Someone explode with joy in that way is wonderful. Um, so I, I, mean, I recommend... Do you know, I know I, I'm normally like that quite in general. Um, so it wasn't just the camera. That was yeah, for yeah. me in real life. And um, I probably was being nicer for camera because I'm harsher to a referee and that side <laughs> hasn't come out yet on a stream. So maybe stay tuned. You might see it come out if we have another Bryce Lawrence experience. I was going to say, we'll make, sure we, we'll make sure we don't get you on the episode with Bryce Lawrence we'll, uh, in case you'll explode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could have a lot to talk about there. <laughs> we'll be here for hours. All right. Well, yeah. thank you very much well, for joining us. On, it's it's you a guys. pleasure. Uh, thank no, you thanks, very much. Boys. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time for Ireland against Australia, where we will be joined, all being well, by Tom from the Free Red Kings. That's something to look forward to. Uh, thank you once again, Gareth. Thank you once again, William, whoever you are. And yeah. thank you for listening. Good night. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 